Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. The Old Testament temple and tabernacle, do you know about it? Have you heard about it? It was the focus of life in the Old Testament. God said, I'm gonna dwell on earth. My presence is gonna dwell in one place. The Ark of the Covenant is a special box, God says. It's gonna be overlaid with gold. There's gonna be cherubim on its cover. There's gonna be a mercy seat where once a year the high priest puts blood and I atone for the sins of the nation. And God says, I'm gonna dwell in between the cherubim. My presence, a flame of fire is gonna be there. And that is the place that you know to come and meet me and where I am and my presence and power are. And we're gonna look at it at Bible school on Tuesday night, but through many centuries, um, that changed and then Solomon built a temple based on exactly the same pattern but twice as big and then it got destroyed and then Zerubbabel and Haggai rebuilt it and Nehemiah and Ezra were involved and then just before Jesus came Herod an evil king rebuilt it even bigger and then Jesus said look at this great structure it'll be torn down and I'll rebuild it in three days and he was talking about himself he said I am the temple now and then he said, you, Christians, are now the temple. And I don't think we realize the importance of that. I, I don't think we get that, just how sacred and powerful and special that is. Listen to this verse from Ephesians 2, verse 19. He says to you and me, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, He's talking about non-Jewish people, Gentiles. He says, we're no longer excluded. Just before this, he says, God has taken all different races and made them into one new race. He's divided the separating walls of hostility and made us one. He says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, that's you and me, brother and sister, the whole building is being fitted together. You know, when you come to church, it's not just let's sit in a row and watch a show. I'm being fitted together with the people around me for a purpose. Being fitted together, we grow into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And today I wanna to talk about how do you and I become the temple when we meet together so that God's Spirit is here in our midst just as it was in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. And the great news is it's a work of grace. I have a part to play, that's the furniture part. Yes, I have a part to play. But the power of God is a work of grace. And as long as I'm available, I, you know, you may have come to church today or for many years just thinking it's like going to the movies or like going to a show or like going to a shop or a, a, a service provider and trying to get something. And as you're there, God by his kindness opens your heart and mind and you see, I'm not a consumer, I'm not a spectator, I'm not a customer, I am part of this temple that is being fitted together by God's grace. I just need to be willing 
and God fits me together with other people of different backgrounds and races and, and social standings and he puts us together into something beautiful that when he looks at us, the world may look at us and think we're a strange looking bunch. But when God looks at us, he sees a temple that is more beautiful than the, the best temple that the Jewish people ever built. And he says, I am putting my presence there. Isn't that an amazing thought? It's absolutely astounding. And then there's another leg to this. I'm gonna go through the pieces of furniture in a moment, but there's another angle to this that I wanna just bring up. And that is that in Acts chapter 15, when James is leading the church, the brand new church in Jerusalem, and um, they're trying to decide on how do they make policy about including the Gentiles and what do they do with all this? And James, the leader of the church says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. In Acts chapter 15, we're told that we the church, we know we are the temple, because Ephesians 2, we've already read it, we are a temple. Individually, you are a temple, but when we gather, we're even more of a temple. It's almost like little temples running around with God's presence inside, but when we get together, the fire bursts forth and, and people can see the glory of God when we gather. There's something special and anointed when we corporately gather. So we know we're the temple, but then in Acts 15 he says, okay, there were all these temples in the Old Testament. There was Herod's temple, there was Solomon's temple, Ezra and Nehemiah's temple, there was um, the tabernacle, there was even the Garden of Eden which was like a temple. Which temple are we, God? He says, you're David's tabernacle. He says, out of all the tabernacles in the Old Testament, David's is the one. And now many scholars scratch their heads. They say, David's tabernacle? I didn't know there was a David's tabernacle. What's that all about? And the story is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now, when, now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. I want you to imagine the scene. David takes a whole entourage and they go to this house where the ark of the covenant has been resting for a few months and that household has been blessed beyond measure. David says, we're gonna bring it up and we're gonna put it in Jerusalem and I'm gonna build a little tabernacle for it. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. They're now carrying the ark in poles like it was designed. Instead of by hand or on a cart, they put the poles through the, the places designed for the poles so that they can carry the ark as God said. And that's why they were able to do it without being killed because the ark is such a powerful and holy thing. And when they'd gone six paces, they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. 
And David was wearing a linen ephod. You see, David is an Old Testament character, but he's got a New Testament heart. He knows it's about intimacy with God. It's not about rules and regulations. He tries to keep the rules, but more than anything, his heart is after God's own heart. And he worships God in a beautiful way with intimacy and honesty, and he dances and rejoices before God. And that's why his tabernacle is the tabernacle that we are supposed to copy. He goes on to say, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. If anyone says David wasn't going crazy, this is clear evidence that he was. He was leaping and whirling and his wife was embarrassed. She wanted her husband to be a respectable man. She wanted him to uphold the family name and his role as the king of the nation and David is gonna answer her a little bit later. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he gave them a whole lot of food and drink. And verse 20, then David returned to bless his household and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, can you just listen to the sarcasm dripping from her voice? How glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's saying you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. You were, you were embarrassing. You were an embarrassment today, husband. Does David get all insulted? Does he try and defend himself? Does he try and change? and do what she wants? Does he, does he get proud and, and try and cover himself up? David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. <laughs> I just love that. David says, in effect, I don't care what people think, I'm worshiping God and he is the only audience I'm dancing for. Isn't that beautiful? I'm so challenged by this because in our modern world, we get dressed up whenever we go out. We want to look presentable. And every time we do anything, we're worried about how are people perceiving me? And David says, it's the Lord who's my audience. I don't care what you think. Isn't that beautiful? It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. <laughs> I'm not gonna tone it down, I'm gonna ramp it up. You see, God is blessed when we are more concerned about what he thinks than what others think, and he blesses us for it. He says, if you will put me first and my opinion first and just serve me and please me, then I'll bless you in front of people. And I will be even more undignified and will be humble in my own sight. Pride is not going to 
uh, fashion or de- de- determine how I serve the Lord. Pride is not going to be a part of my worship. I'm not going to let my concern about other people's opinions impact my worship, he says. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You see, when we judge others, it's not the person we're judging who gets hurt. It's us, because our relationship with God gets affected. And so when people judge me, I try my hardest to reconcile because I don't want them to have a broken relationship with God. But at the end of the day, if they continue to judge me, it's between them and God, and they may be affected by it. So let me go through the pieces of furniture, which I believe they were the same in the tabernacle and in the temple and in Ezra's Ezra's temple. In Solomon's temple, Ezra's temple, and in Herod's temple, it was the same layout and the same pieces of furniture. And I'm going to go through them quickly one by one. As you go in, there's the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice for us killed for once and for all, so no more sacrifices are needed. And as I come into God's presence, as you come into God's presence, first of all, for yourself, as a Christian, you need to say, Jesus, you died for me. But then for us, we come in and we say, Jesus, you are number one. That's the first thing I see when I come together with the people of God. It's your grace, your blood, not my goodness, not my religiousness. You alone, Lord Jesus, have paid for my sin. I then go into the the big glass Uh, sorry, watery, mirror-like thing. It was actually called the mirror in some places. And it's a picture of washing, but also of a mirror, which speaks of the word of God. In James chapter one, it talks about God's word as a mirror. And in Ephesians five, it talks about being washed by the word. We, We look into God's word and that's how we enter into this place when we gather together where God's presence is gonna be released in our midst. You know, It's possible for us to think, let me do it my way. I don't want to worship God in the way that he says we need to worship. I I think we should worship God in this way. And there are many, many ways we can worship God uh, that are still called church, but there are a few essential elements of furniture that must be there for it to be a place where God's presence dwells. And I'm going through those elements right now. Number one, Jesus' sacrifice is the first thing we see. Number two, the word of God, we look at it like in a mirror. We gotta let God's word be number one and guide us and wash us. Then we go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the next level back, which is the holy place. And there are three things here, and it's hard to separate them because we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is the altar of incense, the prayers and the worship, the sweet smelling smoke going up. We worship God. Spirit is the lampstand with the oil flowing in and it illuminates and it sheds light. And truth is the table of showbread, which is the word of God, but also the fellowship. There were 12 loaves. And when we take communion, we're saying we are one body. It's a picture of fellowshipping, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And it's hard to separate the three from each other. When I worship together, when the spirit is present and I'm worshiping Jesus, I'm being led by God, my prayers are going up. And there's other believers with me, the 12 loaves, and we're allowing God's word to speak Spirit, truth, worship, the family of God. I'm ushered in. 
And then lastly, I go into the Holy of Holies. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two. That's the curtain that allows us to go right in. The high priest used to be the only one, now we are the high priests. We are a royal priesthood. Kings and priests, we're allowed to go in. And I go into the presence of God and his word is in my heart, the 10 commandments, and his authority and fruitfulness is in my heart, the, the staff of Aaron. And his, his word is speaking like daily bread to me. I'm right in his presence. I'm in awe before the flame of God. And that's where we want to be. You know, there have been times in the Bible where this has happened. There were times in the book of Acts where the believers got together, first of all on Pentecost, and they were all of one accord. They were in unity with one another. They were worshiping. God poured out his fire and 3,000 got saved. Then they were facing persecution. A couple of chapters later, they prayed and God poured out his fire. The whole place was shaken and great wonders and miracles were done. Acts chapter 16, Paul's in prison with Silas. They've been beaten and chained and they're praising God in this way and God's power is released. When we get together, there's a lovely psalm called Psalm 133. It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then he talks about it's like oil being poured on the priest's head and running down his beard and his robes all the way down to the bottom of his robes. And God bestows a blessing and commands everlasting life in that place. That's what happens when we are the temple of God. And now just one more very important scripture. Remember we're the tabernacle of David. David writes Psalm 100. And it's a beautiful psalm. I'm not gonna read all of it. I'm just gonna read verse four. It says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. Do you remember that verse? Psalm 100. And what is he saying? Gates and courts there. What's that all about? He's talking about the temple, the tabernacle. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. And we could continue and say, and then I'll enter the holy of holies with worship. But basically David is showing how he used the tabernacle. He used praise and worship so much. But those words thanksgiving and praise that occur in that psalm, but also in all the psalms. You know the word hallelujah? It's from the Hebrew word halal. And there are six other Hebrew words that are translated praise or thanksgiving or hallelujah. And I'm just gonna read them to you. The first is yada. And these occur in this Psalm 100, but also in all of David's Psalms showing us how we get into God's presence. Yada means to extend the hand, to throw out the hand, to worship God with an extended hand. So when, when David says praise the Lord, uh, he's saying yada. In Psalm 100 verse four, it says, raise your hands with thanksgiving to him, humbly kneel before his name. Raise your hands, yada. That's part of the furniture of entering into his presence. Now we don't have a temple, but we have furniture in our hearts. And part of it is this praise. I throw out my hand. The next one is toda which comes from a similar word, but it means an extension of the hand in adoration or avowal or acceptance. This is more worshipful with my hands lifted and raised out. So the first is throwing my hands towards God. The next is adoration. The word halal, from where we get hallelujah, literally means to shine, to boast, to rave 
Those of you who love raving in, in clubs, that's, that's where the word comes from. To rave before God, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. The next is Shabbat, which means to address in a loud voice, to triumph, to exclaim, to glory, to shout. Barak means to kneel down, to bless as an act of adoration. Zamah means to praise with the stringed instruments. And Tehillah means to sing and to praise God. Friends, I believe, in fact I know from God's word, that you and I, when we gather together, we are not just a bunch of people who happened to have come together at the same place at the same time. You know when you're in a busy city and you're walking and you're trying to cross a street, suddenly a little congregation occurs around the little box which you have to press for the, the light to change from red to green for you to cross the street. Suddenly a little group of you are all there. You get there, you've all pressed the button or one of you has, you're all looking in the same direction and you've just happened to be at the same place at the same time, going the same direction. And I think many of us at church on a Sunday feel like that. Oh look, look who happened to be here today. Oh that's interesting. And then we walk across the road, that's our hour and a half at church, and then we go our separate ways and we don't see each other ne until next week when we press the button. I want to say to you that that is not what is happening here. It may be why we originally came or what we think is happening, but God is desperately trying to tell us, I am melding us, I'm melding you, my people, into a temple, and I want my glory to be present in your midst just as it was in the Old Testament. The way you're gonna do that is by going through all those pieces of furniture, worshiping in spirit and in truth and all those things that I mentioned, but also entering with thanksgiving and praise. When we praise together, knowing it's not a show that I'm responding to or consuming or paying money to watch, I am the show and God is the audience. When I get that, suddenly the flame of God bursts into our presence. Have you ever been in those situations? A group of us, six of us from a little home fellowship group, a little life group, we visited a holiday resort when my wife and I had just got married. We were young 20 year olds and there were six of us and on Sunday morning we said, well, let's go and find a church. We found a tiny little church in the village close by and we went there and it was closed but the door was open but there was no service and we said oh well let's go in one of the people there knew how to play the piano they started playing a few worship songs we started singing and something happened and before we knew it an hour and a half had passed and we had been in glory i can't explain it other than to say we were in the holy of holies God's presence was there and it broke us, it, it changed us. I mean, people were weeping, people were confessing sins to one another. God had broken us because a group of people had been united in one place, focused on him, not caring about what anyone else thought about them and just looking at the audience of one. I'm gonna close with one passage from Isaiah chapter six because in Isaiah, he has an experience of worship that we can have. 
and in fact that we should have every time we get together. He saw the Lord. You say to me, well, how can I see the Lord? Craig, isn't that the preacher's job to make me see the Lord? Isn't that the, the worship team's job to make me feel the Lord? Isn't that something that God will just do? He'll just come and make me feel him one day? Isn't that up to God? Let me read this passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. God was so big that it was just the hem of his garment that was filling the temple. That's how big God was. And Isaiah saw him. Above him stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. That's like the glory of God coming on the temple. You know, I didn't read the verses, but in Exodus chapter 40, it talks about God's presence coming and filling the tabernacle when they'd finished building it. And it was so powerful that the priests couldn't continue with their duties. And then in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1, when Solomon builds his temple, the glory comes and the fire of God comes and it's so powerful that nobody can do their duties. And all they can do is say, praise the Lord, his love endures forever. They're just laid out, almost unconscious by the presence of God. And that's what Isaiah had here. The house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah said, woe is me. You see, when we're in God's presence, it cuts us deeply. He says, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now this is the crux of the matter. Are we, as New Testament Christians, supposed to go on what our eyes see or what our faith eyes see? Think about that for a second. He says, I live by faith and not by sight. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. My eyes have seen the king, says Isaiah, but the Bible says God is invisible. It wasn't his physical eyes. It was his faith, spirit eyes. And you and I can say, God, by faith, I see you. I don't see you physically. I don't feel you or hear you physically. But I know the whole earth is full of your glory. You're here. Just the hem, the train of your robe is filling this temple where we meet. You are here, God. And even if the worship team hit the wrong note and the preacher's having a bad day and people next to me judge me, I don't care, God. There's an audience of one and I see the Lord. My eyes have seen the king. And when that happens, I want to tell you, you just need two or three of you in a group, even in a group of 200 people, two or three who really see the Lord, and it starts to break out. The fire starts to break out. And even those who came who didn't even know about God start sensing God is here, and they're cut to the heart, and they start to break down and repent and worship God because just a few are a temple and God's fire can break through. He goes on to say, 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. That is what happens when we are the tabernacle of David being rebuilt. Not a building in bricks and mortar, not a set of structures and religious rituals. People who love God, who come together based on the essential elements of furniture and they don't care what anyone else thinks and they worship God by faith from their heart. Fire breaks out. You wanna know why we see healings in our midst, in the middle of worship, people getting healed for no reason. Just, just healed. I'll tell you why. Somebody linked together in unity with somebody else became the corporate temple of the Lord and God's fire broke out. Now I have a desire and it's more than that. It's an excitement because we are getting there as a church. We've had people come to us and say, this church is not where it was a year ago or two years ago. Something's happening here. And it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. We are being built together into a temple in which God lives by His Spirit. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.